this is Slashers, a horror movie. No, it's not. A- God dang it. Sean, why'd you let me do that? You're supposed <laughs> to be keeping me on track today. Well, this is Slashers, where we discuss movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake, and I am joined today by Sean Wright, director of Night of the Axe. Sir, greet the mutant goons from beyond. How's everyone doing today? So, buddy, you reached out to me quite a while ago about reviewing your film and doing an interview, and I brushed you off because, you know, I'm super big time, (laughs) no big deal or anything. Uh, Actually, I'm desperately depraved of sleep, and I'm, or depraved, deprived. I'm depraved because I'm deprived (laughs) of sleep. That's what I mean. But anyway, uh, what really jump-started this process, our good friends over at Gorelords are doing a benefit for the American Red Cross on August 31st at the Colonial Theater. There's going to be a bunch of short independent horror films and then a showing of Creepshow. You were kind enough to send over a butt-fucking-gigantic load worth of your DVDs for Night of the Axe, and some honky-ass motherfucker stole half of them and all of your flyers. Yes. So we're getting vengeance and retribution just for you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it. I send, which, of course, first off, shout out to Gore Lords for promoting my film and showing it at their event. So definitely go out to that if you're in the Sacramento area. But yeah, I sent them DVDs to help me out because I can't make it down to Sacramento to sell them myself. Exactly. So I sent... I sent down a box of DVDs and some flyers for them because they so kindly agreed to sell the DVDs for me and pass the flyers. And I send it down there and I guess it gets delivered to the wrong address or something like that. And whoever picked it up stole half of the DVDs and all the flyers and then dropped it off at the Gorlor's doorstep, which I don't understand. I don't understand it. Why would you steal an indie horror film? As an attorney, I have to warn everybody that it is not half of a felony to only steal <laughs> half of the mail. But yeah, it seems kind of bizarre, but you know, maybe some bragging rights for yourself because you can kind of feel like you made it when people are stealing your material instead of you giving it away for free, right? <laughs> I guess so. Um, I mean, if they do end up out there, great. You know, if they end up in the hands of a horror fan who's going to appreciate it, then I can be okay with it. But if I don't know what they do if 12 of the same movie <laughs> that no one's ever yeah, heard right. of, really. <laughs> And it's not like it's in every FYE and Best Buy around. Like if somebody finds a very specific niche movie from across the country, it's kind of a dead giveaway how they got it at this point. Yeah. But we'll stick to the positive stuff because my podcast, Slasher's podcast, the podcast that everybody is actually listening to at this exact moment is doing a special bonus episode to support the American Red Cross to help offset the loss of charitable donation so it's a one dollar episode you can either send me a dollar you could be a patreon patron for one month for one dollar you can show me proof that you donated a dollar to american red cross and i will personally send you a link to a special episode wherein we review sean's movie night of the axe and we have a very esoteric conversation about axe murders in film and maybe If you're lucky, I'll bust out my So I Married an Axe Murderer. Bing, bong, boom, because Axe is loosely involved there somehow. So let's get into the movie itself. This is what fascinates me. As a guy who has now had over 30 episodes talking about movies, what took you from being not only a guy who thought you could make a movie, but that you would make a movie to then you have made a movie? Like, Can you explain that process? Because that's a very ambitious thing to do. It is very ambitious. You see, 
since like high school, like after I got out of high school, I've been thinking I want to make a movie because I've I've liked horror like most of my life. You know, I've been a fan and right about the high school, post high school era is when I really started getting into it. And then after just sitting, sitting around for a while, just existing, working a sort of dead end job, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of just existing and I want to do something with my life. So I decided, why not finally make a movie? Now, of course, I, I would prefer to start with like a full length. You know, the original, the very first movie idea I ever had was a um, a werewolf movie. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's what I do still intend to make a werewolf movie. But I decided I was going to go simpler, though, of course, it's still not simple to make a movie. So I decided to go for the slasher route, a short slasher film. Which, you know, a slasher film is probably the easiest thing to make other than like found footage. And no one really wants to make a found footage. (laughs) Not at this point. Exactly. No. And, you know, I was really into like the gory stuff, stuff like that. So I was like, I really want to make this short stand out by putting actual like proper special effects into it. Yeah. As opposed to just generic schlock. And yeah, it yeah. definitely shows that that's where you've had a lot of focus. Had you actually had experience in special effects previously? No, I don't have really have any experience myself in special effects, but I knew I needed someone who did, obviously. So I reached out through Facebook and into a practical effects group. And I found this guy, Gary Williamson. He's right on. a really talented guy who is just who's you know has the same mindset as me he just wants to make make a movie and so basically we got together and he made my dreams a reality (laughs) because you know without him this movie wouldn't be nearly half as well i don't want to toot my own horn i think it's pretty awesome yeah it's super fun i mean it keeps a very good pace one thing I talked about with Tom Bocci, and I think I talked about with Clayton Cogswell, the other directors we've had on, is so many directors and writers are afraid to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They want to keep everything in. And I think it's super smart of you. You totally could have padded this out. I mean, to get that many kills in in 20 minutes is pretty ambitious. And it speaks for itself, like you're saying. Yeah, I basically hit all the points you'd want in a classic slasher in 20 minutes. All the gore, all the nudity, everything you'd want. And a classic slasher just condensed. I could I could have padded it out, but I probably would have ended up just adding more kills, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then that obviously increases your budget, and that increases the more moving parts you have, especially for your initial run, it's harder. And then that way you're self-financing versus if you use this as your resume or your portfolio, rather, into your next feature, you might be able to get some generous contributions. Yes, that is the goal. That is the goal. I want to use this... To help me find a full length, which I am working on a full length. Uh, I'm hoping to get to start filming that in April. That's the goal. Hopefully get it out next year, middle of next year. That'll be great. That's awesome. If there's anything we can do to help, you let us know. Now, in terms of influences, you can't help but notice that you have a guy with a pillowcase over his head and that it gets taken off. And what do I immediately go to? I go to Friday the 13th Part 2 and The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yes. Was that a deliberate choice or was that something that you kind of fell into? It was both. It was a a deliberate choice because obviously I I love Friday the 13th, obviously. And Sackhead Jason is really great because it's a great look. Someone with a bag on their head. It harkens back to the executioner of the olden days, you know. And of course, Town That Dreaded Sundown has a great look, too. I love both of those killers. So 
yes, it was definitely, they're definitely a huge influence on him. And yeah. <laughs> so, and then in your killer's prosthetics on his face, it kind of reminds me of Toxic Avenger, kind of reminds me of Michael Myers. Is that deliberate? How did you conceive of the makeup under the mask? That was pretty much all on Gary. I gave him some basic ideas because he's, he's supposed to be more deformed. It's more of a deformity thing, not not necessarily an undead thing like like the later Jason. It's more like earlier gotcha. Jason. Toxic, he ended up looking a lot like Toxic Avenger. That wasn't necessarily the intention. That's just sort of what happened. He sort of looked like oh. uh, White Boy Toxie, kind of. <laughs> we, yeah, made, we made that definitely. joke when he once we got the makeup on him. But I mean, it's cool. I mean, it's I thought it looked pretty good, especially in the end when we darkened it up a little. It looked really, really cool. Yeah, and I thought that it was a deliberate homage because when you're talking about what I assume is something of a micro budget in what you do, and then you look at Lloyd Kaufman's career, he invented micro budget before it was a thing. Like now, it's almost kitschy to have oh, <laughs> you know my micro budget short on YouTube or short at a festival, and he is like, wait, what? I've been doing this in shit since <laughs> the seventies. Yes, he is definitely a big influence on me because I have a lot. I have a lot of respect for Lloyd Kaufman, even though. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of trauma movies. I mean, I like some of them, but it's not I don't necessarily go for the trauma films as much. I'm more of a I don't go for the horror comedy as much as I go for like the full on horror stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, even as a guy who goes for the horror comedy, I can tell you that they definitely don't bat a thousand. And if anybody has issue with me, you can email me why (laughs) you think that I'm wrong at slasherspot at gmail.com and I'll prove myself right. But that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Yeah, but um. Yeah, but he definitely his filmmaking style is the main a big influence to me because it's just the sort of do it yourself thing. You know, like you don't need a million dollars in a big studio to make a great movie, especially a great horror movie, because at the end of the day, all it comes down to for horror is, I think, a great concept, really. Like when it comes to what I think is effective with horror and correct me if you think I'm wrong, budget's inconsequential to its effect. You know, you've had people telling horror stories by cave fires from eons and millennia. Sorry about it, Ken Ham. We've been around for millennia, (laughs) (laughs) not just 600 years or whatever. But my point being, it's what you do, not necessarily how you do it. I mean, my dad is probably the scariest person I've ever known because when I was a kid, I'd be walking, you know, down a dark hallway and he'd go, (laughs) and now I have literally no jump reflex because it was scared the hell out of me by a guy that didn't ever spend a dime to scare me. Do you agree? <laughs> I agree. Yes. Um, it can do a lot of with very little money. If you look at if you look at a lot of big budget films, a lot of the money goes to paying a lot of people, I think. And, you know, to the bigger stars, you know, but if you are sick of a low budget, you're you have cast and crew who don't necessarily need to get paid, but just want to make something cool. I mean, look at like we we're talking about Lloyd Kaufman. I read his book, Make Your Own Damn Movie, and he doesn't pay anyone. <laughs> like, In fact, people pay him to be in the movie. Yes, people will pay him to be in a movie. Which is crazy, but I love it. Yes, like he will cut all these corners, but still manage to make a movie. Like, my main idea is to get actors who just want to do it for, like, I don't need big name actors in a in a horror movie, you know? You just need people... Who show up and put in the effort, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, acting is not really hard, especially in a movie like this where you can just sort of be yourself a little bit. You know what I mean? Exactly. 
Like you can just sort of be yourself and react as you would be in the situation. Yeah, nobody's giving a fucking soliloquy in your movie. Like you're <laughs> yeah. always working with another person. You're able to, and it's a very reactionary medium. You're not having these people having fucking esoteric conversations about life and circumstance. It's like, oh, do you want pizza? Yes, I want pizza. <laughs> oh my God, I'm dead. Yes, we don't need any Oscar winning performances here. That's a very healthy perspective because I think some people always want to aggrandize what they're doing and build it up to be some amazing thing. But it's like, look, art is a commodity. This is all like if you strip things down to its simplest way, that's how you can be effective. Right. Exactly. My whole goal is to make old school gory horror films for the modern age. That's what I want to do. I just want to make a movie that would have been made in the 70s or 80s. But today, you know, of all the modern technology, but we're still you know, fighting the same monsters we were in the 70s and 80s. And it speaks to him. I'll tell you one day uh, a list of all the things, that, of all the movies I want to make. <laughs> so as yeah. far as if there was ever a genre you would want to do besides horror, is there anything that ever comes to mind? Yes, I wouldn't mind doing, well, sci-fi horror is sort of a still horror, but that's something I definitely want to do someday. But I kind of got that, that vibe from you based on the score for your movie when it came to the kind of synth stuff. I very got that. Yeah, obviously, it was homage to 80s, but I also could kind of tell, like, this dude seed Blade Runner a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sci-fi horror. But then um, besides besides just straight horror, I'd like to do some, like, a sword and sorcery movie, too. That would be kind of cool. It's like a, a pure nerdy Dungeons & Dragons type of movie. Oh, so are you Peter Jackson, a time traveler? Because <laughs> I listened to a symposium that he did in germany in 1987 i want to say and somebody's like hey what do you want to do and he's like oh yeah i wouldn't mind getting a sci-fi and oh yeah sword and sorcery movie you know like a conan the barbarian or whatever and then he's kind of notorious for nailing it with lord of the rings and fucking it up with the hobbit but yeah. is that you are you him um i wish but no i'm not i'm not peter jackson your accent doesn't exactly sound new zealandish so yeah i won't try to do a new zealand accent right now and embarrass myself so <laughs> Yeah, basically, anytime I try and do New Zealand, I start with Murray Hewitt from Flight of the Concords and work my way backwards. So in terms of casting, you know, you talk about the budget that you have, finding people who are just very natural and working with others. What was that process like? It's basically a lot of Facebook posting. I put a couple flyers out at a few horror conventions, but they didn't really they turned up very little, um, mainly just Facebook posting and friends of friends. That's about all it came down to for casting. I did try to do a little bit in a professional acting sort of group, but they sort of blew me off in that. <laughs> but yeah, it's mostly just friends of friends and people who I know who are interested. And I just sort of rounded them all up and picked the best ones. And that's what I got. That's awesome. Let me ask you a quick question. Was it awkward to ask one of the people, hey, do you mind showing your boobs? <laughs> Well, not really, because that's so what happened was I actually had someone lined up originally for that role and she was perfectly fine with it. It is a little awkward when you're like talking to these people like, are you comfortable with nudity? Like, it's just a little awkward. But if you be professional about it, they'll be pretty professional about it, too. They'll just usually just be like, no. And you're like, yeah, okay. it's a yes or no question. <laughs> yeah, it's a yes or no. There's question. no fucking judgments about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first person I had, she um, she dropped out on me, not because of the nudity, just because she's a flake. But <laughs> the second one was a friend of a friend who went into it knowing about that's what this role required. So it wasn't really awkward, that whole thing. It was 
of course it's a little awkward just because it's it's weird you know <laughs> it's not a normal thing exactly but if you if you're just professional about it it's it's really easy all you have to do is ask you know yeah and, and what's the worst that somebody's gonna say oh wait me too but <laughs> sorry i tried to liven that up and i think <laughs> i did a worse job <laughs> Can I tell you something? Just between us, nobody's listening to this part of the episode. Okay. What really, I think I am the biggest victim of Bill Cosby because you know how bad I'd like to do Ghost Dad on this show and I just <laughs> can't do it anymore. That is a complete joke. Disclaimer, do not lynch me. I have too much shit to do to be lynched at any time in the foreseeable future. Let's move on, shall we? Now, when it comes to your special effects, is this something that you know you had key set pieces that you wanted to hit? And then you go to Gary and you talk about that way. Or does he come to you with, hey, these are things that we could achieve on this budget. How did that work out? That was it was pretty much all just my ideas. It was all in the script and he brought it all to life. There's not um, there was nothing really I wanted in the script that was outside of our budget. It was all pretty much really the budget was the special effects. I was I didn't get put anything like super grandiose in as far as effects. I did have some like originally I had some like shot you know, um, in the end, when she shoots him, I had some sort of like DIY squibs, but that was mainly a time constraint. We ran out of time with that. But as far as whose ideas it was for the effect, it's all pretty much me. And he just brought them to life with, you know, his skill. <laughs> That's awesome. And so when it comes to the script writing process, I mean, having never done this before, uh, did you have to exercise some restraint to be able to do a 20 minute short like was this something you were whittling down you were having to build up how did that work out well i went into it writing a short film so i didn't have to really cut much that's good I, yeah i went into it writing a short film so it was pretty it was a pretty straightforward process i knew exactly what i was trying to do with that like i didn't i didn't film a part of the script because i just mainly for time and mainly because i just found out it was found it unnecessary there was like a bit at the end where there was sort of a, I don't know what you want to call it without spoiling the actual movie too much. It was just like a conclusion kind of, but it, I thought I ended the film in a better, a better way, you know? Right on. And as far as like sequel potential, do you have an idea to continue this franchise or are all of your ideas moving forward with your career in other things like werewolfism or rather lycanthropy? Um, yeah, I do want to, I do want to obviously branch out into other you know, the new storylines. But as for a sequel to this particular thing, I I was, you know, tossing around some ideas in my head. I think I could do a series. This is a series of shorts. That could be interesting. I could do a sequel to this as a short and then maybe a third sequel as a short. You know what I mean? Instead of doing, you know, if I do like a full length version of this, I don't want to do the same thing again. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah. I'd rather do a sequel, a full length sequel to this. But then that would be a little weird because then it's the original is the short and the second one is the full length. And that's kind of weird. So I was thinking maybe just do three shorts, Night of the Axe, three Night of the Axe shorts and release them on a Blu-ray at some point. That's a hell of an idea. I mean, think about like Sam Raimi when you have Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 being basically the exact same movie. You know, nobody told him what he could and couldn't do. And don't let anybody tell you what you can and can't do. Oh, I don't. <laughs> Good. Now, moving on from special effects to experience. The cost. Did you self-fund this yourself? Were you able to get donors? How did that work out? I did try to go do a little bit of a crowdfunding thing, but obviously with my first ever project, an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter is like not feasible because like 
who's gonna donate to that this random movie with nothing yeah. behind it so i did try a gofundme to see if that would help but it didn't really help so i did end up just paying for the whole thing myself which the most expensive thing was actually the house because that was an airbnb oh really yeah so that was actually the most expensive part of the whole thing the effects were maybe like 200 bucks for everything so well that's not bad at all yeah and i didn't pay anyone so <laughs> there you go you didn't have contracts to pay them and then not pay them though right no, just no. to make sure <laughs> <laughs> no. contra- that would be the last con- thing I'd want you admitting. <laughs> Their contracts say they don't get paid. <laughs> oh, that's good. We call those internships. That's how we got Jim Turn on our show. <laughs> so the Airbnb, did you have like, did you go, hey, just so you know, if you find some you know blood splatter on the ceiling or maybe some grease stains, uh, don't ask questions, or did they just lesser is more? They, I went into it telling them what that I was filming a movie. Like, actually, we actually went outside of Airbnb for that. We just sort of made a oh, deal amongst cool. ourselves to use the house, basically for the Airbnb price. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. So they went into it knowing that we we're filming a movie, so there was no nothing with that, you know, no weird things that come from that. Well, that's awesome. Now if you do a sequel, you have to do it the same place, right? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. As far as, you know, your final girl, was that specifically an homage to Final Girls in the past? Or did you, like, what went into that decision to, A, have almost an entirely female cast, and then B, you know, make the Final Girl so powerful in this case? Well, the all-female cast is pretty much for the sake of... Was it almost just to create a sense of sympathy when it comes to, you know, here you have one menacing character you've never seen before, so you need him to be instantly domineering. And one way of doing that is having a big-ass dude towering over, I won't say tiny women, but moderately-sized women. Is that at least a visual cue to kind of get people up to speed as quickly as possible because you didn't have a franchise to build off of or the length to develop this character more? Yes, that is that is one part of it. Also, just for the sake of sort of streamlining the story, because a, a group of girls getting together is a lot easier to pull off and like having like sort of a party thing going on. Oh God. Could you imagine the extras? Yeah. There actually was a male character involved at one point, but then I just sort of cut him out cause he sort of was pointless. So it ended up just being straightforward. Uh, not necessarily girl power, but it was just, you know, girls all the way through cause girls having a slumber party. What, what, what can you go? How can you go wrong with that? Other than killing them all with an ax. Yeah, and when it comes to the dialogue and everything, I mean, given that you have a female cast playing female characters, very revolutionary idea there. Did they help give you insight, given that you're a dude? Like, Because my vision of a slumber party is very different than what I think actually women's slumber parties are like. Because I would have started off with the pillow fight and ended with the tickling, but that was none of that in this movie. And I can only assume that they intervened from the original script. No, that was all in the original script. It wasn't a very, uh, it wasn't an overly sexual thing. <laughs> with the slumber party you described it was more of a <laughs> it was more of just uh girls get girls hanging out together i could have gone that route but then i would have had an even harder time finding people to play in it yeah could you imagine hey uh i know you i don't know you and you are responding very kindly to my facebook ad i'm gonna need you to get naked i'm gonna need you to start tickling that girl and i'm just gonna be here with my camera and if you hear some heavy breathing just ignore it i'll pull the p- pillowcase over my own head <laughs> Exactly. I got to ask you a quick question. What is your favorite slasher, not including the big three? When I say big three, I'm, of course, talking about Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger. That is a hard one. 
I'm thinking it is, isn't it? It is. I've, I really love the burning. That was a great one. That raft scene is iconic, right? Oh, yeah. And then pieces is great. That's a great one. Ah, super good. When Joe Bob did that on his last drive in reunion, I was like, oh, praise <laughs> Jeebus. Um, you know, I like the Prowler, but that one gets kind of that one sort of dies at the end point. You know, yeah, right. Like halfway through, it just sort of gets like, what the hell is going on? This is kind of boring. But then the, the beginning of it, it's like so good. Like the first like half the first like hour of it's great. Then the last half hour is kind of dull until that, you know, the ending. Yeah. I mean, some of the effects in that are great. Amazing effects. Now, when you chose to make a silent slasher, was that something that was fun? Is it something that you had to like resist the urge to have? It sounds like you're more of a straight horror guy. So resisting the urge to have somebody say, it's prime time, isn't very hard. <laughs> but was that ever a consideration to you? No, I never really considered having him talk. It was it was pretty much a silent slasher all the way through with him. I'm, I'm more of like a animalistic killer kind of guy, I guess. I just like don't want a lot of talking in my murdering people you know a lot of in my murderous people i don't want a lot of talking that definitely makes sense there's certain something almost comforting you know and also it's breaking the tension when you have a character like freddy krueger make a joke right yeah. i never hear that and i'm like oh shit now i'm scared it's always like oh i'm not scared anymore because he's basically just a human who has some weird nondescript power yeah i mean i love freddy and all but yeah i get what you're saying yeah, I'm not talking ish. I mean, he's a legend for a reason. But, you know, at a certain point, you're like, OK, well, this like almost objectively can't be terrifying <laughs> because it's not just that he's talking. It's like the way that he's talking because you compare him to like the lead Cenobite or Pinhead. And it's like, oh, he's saying things that are like legitimately fucked. Like, <laughs> oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. You know, like that, no matter who tells me that, I instantly feel like a child knowing my dad's going to come give me a spanking because I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm just I'm doomed. There's no reconciling this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I'm more of the more of the silent killer type there. But maybe in the future, I'll have a more uh, a more sinister speak. Actually, I do have an idea for a more sinister speaking villain down the line. <laughs> right on. Does that play in at all with the werewolf? No, not the werewolf. This is a different slasher movie I have in mind. I'm excited. Yeah, I'll mention it to you. Uh, my idea. It's a it's an Easter slasher movie. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I'm all about that. You know why? Because in the director's commentary, you can give a bunch of Easter eggs. Bing, bong, <laughs> boom. There you go. Keep going. Sorry, bud. Oh, no. I mean, that, that's it. Um, the killer would be a, a very sinister priest. Hell yeah. Yes. This, that, those motherfuckers terrify me more than any slasher. I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. And this is a priest who is a slasher. So double whammy for you. That's exactly double threat, if not triple in other ways. Here's one for you. What is your favorite non-horror media? Non-horror media? Just in exactly. general. So your MasterChef Juniors, your reboot, the real adventures of Conan on Tubi. What do you got? Oh, well, I mean, obviously, I love Star Wars. Love Star Wars. Love all kinds of sci-fi and stuff. I love comedies, especially 90s comedies. I grew up on like Wayne's World and Naked Gun. So I so awesome. I do so I do like comedy, just not in my heart <laughs> so much. Yeah, that's good. Having that partition up, you know, it definitely helps because it usually what is media if not escapism? And so having your escapism be escapist from your other escapism makes perfect sense to me somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, '80s action too. I think it's pretty cool. I do I do write I read comics and stuff too on occasion. I haven't collected comics in a while, but I uh, 
I like uh, Spider-Man and Batman are my two big ones, which, of course, are the two most popular superheroes. So, <laughs> you know, here's something. Oh, I'm going to defend you from yourself right now. <laughs> the reason they're the most popular is because they're butt fucking amazing. Exactly. In fact, the two that you just said, are I always give that as an example. As far as if you wanted the best <laughs> superhero, you would mix Spider-Man and Batman because you'd have a poor dude with no powers. <laughs> right. The exactly. thing I fucking love most about Spider-Man is he's me. He's down on his luck. He can't afford fucking shit. He's always rushing. He's always late. He's always trying his best, but he comes up short. And then there's Batman who it's like, yeah, I have certain things, but I will never be able to fly. I will never be able to run faster than a speeding bullet. So, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Who's your favorite supporting character in either of those franchises? Because the rogues gallery, the allies for those guys. I mean, Jesus, that's (laughs) longer than I won't be profane. It's funny because those two have like the best villains, don't they? Because no other like you take any other like DC hero and like can you even name as other than maybe Superman can you even name half their half their villains. Half their villains are also Batman villains, you know? Oh, for sure. How many then, guys are stolen or bought? Or, yeah. And then like Spider-Man's the same way. Like, can you even name half of Iron Man's villains? No, but you can name like I can list you like 10 Spider-Man villains off the top of my head. I won't right now because <laughs> But still, well, and there's also a certain level of artistry that goes into those two characters specifically because they have that like iconic history. Like, look at Craven's Last Hunt. Like, a lot of other mainstream characters never get that kind of breadth. Like, you don't ever see an esoteric, you know, meta concept as far as who is a good guy and a bad guy in an Iron Man comic. It's always like, how does my pseudo science save me today? <laughs> Yes. Which, not to just talk shit on Iron Man, but, you know, I'm clearly the Captain America guy with the tattoo and all that bullshit. <laughs> yep, great, great storylines, great characters. Those are my two favorite superheroes. Now, let's say, hypothetically speaking, you could get, a, you know, Marvel comes to you tomorrow and is like, we saw Night of the Axe. <laughs> we will suck your dick to make any Marvel property or DC property you want. Is there anything that you'd be like, fuck yeah, this is what I need to make. Let's get going. I think there should be a Spider-Man TV show because... Because, like I said, all of his villains and all of his different storylines you can take, like he just he just has like a wealth of of untapped potential. Like if you took like take Spider-Man in the animated series from the '90s, but make it not for ten-year-olds. Fuck yeah! And I mean, <laughs> especially if you go back to like the John Romita senior years when it's basically like a fucking rom-com or soap opera. I mean, that gets you everything. Gets you all the demographics, all the boxes checked. Exactly. That's a smart move. I think I'm going to steal it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go knock on the doors of Disney over in Burbank, and if if they bite for it, you know, I might kick a little cheddar your way. Well, keep it. Well, keep in mind, you have to knock on Sony's door now. <laughs> oh yeah, I can't believe I just made that flub. I even made a snarky <laughs> post because I'm so happy that Marvel is doing something with She-Hulk. A, because I'm a fucking lawyer and I just love the idea of superhero law. But then B, the idea that we're going to have shulky stuff in Marvel before we have. You know, solo Hulk stuff is just divine intervention. <laughs> Have you ever read any She-Hulk? She's kind of amazing because she like she was breaking the fourth wall way before Deadpool. Deadpool, <laughs> yeah. No, I never, I never really read She-Hulk. Got to give her a chance, man. Use all that sweet, sweet cash you're going to be getting from your DVD sales. <laughs> Boom! Take it over to Barnes and Noble. Get yourself some Shulky stuff. And is there anything that you did to celebrate when you finished the shoot or finished editing? Like, did you set milestones and kind of celebrate throughout? Or are you the kind of guy who gets through the entire gauntlet and you're like, whoo, I did it. <laughs> well, yeah, it was there wasn't a whole lot of celebration. Uh, we did do a we had a premiere party. 
But besides that, there wasn't a whole lot of it was just we just sort of me and my editor, Eric, who also composed the music, who also was on <laughs> who was also uh, on sound set recorder. Big shout out to him for helping me out, out, out a lot with this movie. Well, that's awesome. We were editing nonstop <laughs> between our schedules. And then we had a premiere party. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, partying. <laughs> you mean you didn't do blowing hookers? No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, the artistic process was the blowing hookers for you well, is what I'm understanding. Yeah, well, there was actually some on uh, some on set partying between the people who uh, didn't need to be there anymore. <laughs> oh, wow, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just downstairs. We were upstairs shooting something. They were downstairs drinking. It was fun. <laughs> Good for them. Good for them. Indeed. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay. Yeah. Well, you can stay here, too. That's cool. Yeah. You, at least until the Airbnb runs out. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's got to be exciting. I mean, you're talking about kind of a frenetic shooting pace, I imagine. Like, how long did you shoot this in? It was two weekends. The house, the stuff in the house was two weekends. The stuff in the backyard, that was a day. The stuff in the car, that was a couple hours in a day, you know. So it was about. Very cool. So it was about a five day shoot. Well, really, it was more than that, because. <laughs> We overstayed a little bit uh, the last day and filmed all the outdoor stuff on the following day after our time had technically run out. But that there was no one. There was no. Hopefully the statute of limitations is passed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no there was no one booked there anyway. So, yeah, actually, the um, all the nighttime stuff was shot during the day and we did day for night and it ended up looking really good. I don't know if you can tell. I could a little bit, but that's just because. Yeah, I'm basically I'm one of those weirdos who just like in pro wrestling, you have the smart mark. That's the way I am watching any kind of movie. I'm like, oh, I know what they're doing. And then I just move <laughs> on and, and go like back to watching the actual movie. So but yeah, you're right. It did a very good, especially on that porch scene. I thought that was pretty effective because I mean, how else I was thinking about like, how else do you fucking light a scene like that? Because, you know, even if you set lights, you have somebody who's running through and ending up on the other side in what, maybe two seconds. Like that's not any way possible. <laughs> exactly. It was a pretty, pretty quick shoot. I would have liked more time. Obviously, I could have taken my time on some things a little better, but I think it turned out pretty well, despite the time constraints and any other, you know, the other problems that spring up inevitably during a thing like this, you know. Oh, yeah. Do you want to go into any of those problems that you had so we can all kind of marvel at your problem solving skills? Because I imagine there was a bunch. There were some. Uh, We had um, like the first weekend, the special effects just didn't really work out. So... We ended up with not a whole lot of footage that first weekend. And then basically that made us cram everything in the last the last weekend. And we ended up the first weekend we ended up using getting like taking time, just getting footage of the the killer walking through the house, you know, because that was, you know, they were just the just just effects weren't working out. So we lost a lot of time there. Of course, I had stuff happen to me during pre pre production. Like I mentioned earlier, the one actress dropping out, uh, my original cinematographer dropped out on me, all kinds of stuff. All these things that will go wrong inevitably with any sort of shoot you do. And then, of course, lighting takes forever to set up. I'm sure I'm sure you have some experience with lighting, probably. So you would know. Oh, yeah. That That's why we have it. the same damn backdrop on our YouTube, because every <laughs> time I go to like come up with a new idea, I'm like, aha. And I'm like, wait, how the fuck do I light plywood and make it look good? Fuck. <laughs> Yes, lighting takes a while, um, and of course... It's one of those things, too, where, like, if you get it wrong, everybody fucking notices. But if you get lighting right, people are like, that's just the way shit's supposed to look. And you're like, oh, (laughs) right, Uh, fuck me. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You'll either see weird shadows or it'll look right. (laughs) Exactly. It's just a bunch of small things that eat up time, but we got through it. 
And what would you say? I, I know it's going to be hard just to get the whole thing done in and of itself is a great accomplishment. But is there any part of the filming, of the editing, of the entire composition that you feel like you're most proud of? I'm going to say just the special effects in general. I'm very proud of because of what we did with what little we had. You know, we I basically went through the same level, put in the same level of specs. Sorry, the same level of effects you would have in um, a full length slasher film from the 80s, you know. Also, I really love the music. Again, props to Eric for that. Like the music was amazing, I thought. And so the music and the special effects are great. A lot of I had a lot of cool cinematography, too. I thought Um, a lot of people complimented me on the uh, on the camera movement. I thought that was so. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. And I think that it's a very healthy mindset to have to you know know where your strengths are. And like you said, I don't think as you watch it, it's not like distractingly that you got through so much so fast. I feel like the average person kind of needs to be reminded like you just got through. Let's count them. You have old man, three girls, right? You're talking about mm-hmm. and then someone else at the end without getting into spoilers. That's a five-person movie. and I mean, your batting average is a kill every four minutes. That's pretty fucking good. Thank you. Thank you. So are there any closing remarks you have as we wind down here for all of the mutant goons from beyond? Yes, I hope that you will check out my movie, Night of the Axe. It's, it's a love letter to the 80s slasher genre. Like, I love it, and I know most of you people listening will probably love it as well, because... It's got everything you want in a slasher movie. Also, please, if you like it, give it a share. Word of mouth is everything. You know, one dude helped me sell a whole lot of DVDs not too long ago. Uh, A guy by the name of Tommy Huffman. Shout out to him. He's a cool guy. He helped me out with a lot of DVD sales. And this one guy helped me sell like eight DVDs. So it really helps out as independent filmmaker. Word of mouth is very important. In the day where digital media is around and you have so much competition, an endorsement from anybody is absolutely invaluable. So definitely a smart move there. Yes, there's so much. There's so much out there. So if you if you like my movie, give it a share and also make sure you follow me on my various social medias so you can keep up with what I'm doing, because I uh, have a lot of ideas and I'm trying to build a career out of this. So I hope you'll support me. And I am working on a new movie. Can I talk about that a little bit? Talk about the movie? Fuck yeah, you can. <laughs> Do it. So I didn't know if, because you had mentioned it earlier. I don't know if you were like trying to keep things under wraps, but this is yeah. your platform, my friend. Tell these people what they can expect. So I'm working on a full length film. It's going to be a zombie film and it's going to be heavily influenced by the work of Fulci. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily the plot necessarily, but more the, the atmosphere I'm going for and the zombie effects I'm going for. Like I'm, it's definitely going to be something that fans of Fochi are going to want to watch. Fans of zombie films in general are going to watch and horror fans in general should should probably enjoy a good old school zombie movie with lots of gore. Of course, anything I make is going to be gory. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And did you have an easier time with casting and getting everybody involved in this one? Because you could say, hey, look, I've done this shit before. I'm not just some guy. Well, I have not gotten too into casting yet. I mainly just getting all the pieces put together to get started working on the actual filming. Like I said, I was hoping to shoot that in April. So we're still a bit, you know, a little less than half a year out maybe, but I'm hoping to really start 
getting in there. I do want to do an Indiegogo for that and hopefully can get some help through that because I don't ideally I wouldn't want to fund this myself because a full length movie is a little bit more expensive than a short, you know, especially with various, especially with the time constraints. I'm probably going to end up having to shell out a little bit of money to the, you know, the crew with the essential crew. That's I definitely want to make sure that they are compensated for their time. Yeah, and I mean, there's enough zombie films out there, so people will know what a cheap zombie looks like. So whatever you can do to make sure you're stepping up and above there, that totally makes sense. Exactly. I definitely want some unique looking zombies, some very cool looking zombies. That's what I'm going for. Some interesting kills, for sure. I really, it's a, I'll tell you the title of Swamp of the Living Dead, so a cool location, too. Oh, fuck yeah. I could totally get into that. As a, a doofus who grew up watching Swamp Thing and reading Man <laughs> Thing comics, I don't know what it is about that shit, but I eat it up. So now I'm 10 times as invested. Yes, Swamp of the Living Dead is my next project, and I hope that you all support me and are interested in seeing it. Because I'm definitely interested in making it. I want to make this and many, many more films. So I appreciate any support. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. And make sure, you know, you keep in touch. You're very active on our Instagram and our Facebook, and we appreciate that. And I've said it once, I'll say it a a dozen trillion times. Good goons support other goons. So you are now all contractually obligated to head over to Vimeo.com, search Night of the Axe, watch some boobs, watch some blood, watch some bacon grease, and have some fun. It is also uh, on YouTube as well, if you prefer that method. Uh, Just search... Yes, it's also on YouTube. Um, I don't know how long until they eventually pull it off. I don't know. Um, I did set it as mature, so I'm guessing maybe they won't pull it off. I don't know. But it's on YouTube. Just Google. You can just Google Nut of the Axe, Sean Wright, and you will come up with, you'll find my movie. (laughs) Shit, dog. I wish I would have known. I would have said that, too. Now I sound like an amateur. But as soon as I see Breastages, I thought, oh, (laughs) that clearly rules out. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see how long it lasts on YouTube, but definitely Vimeo's the uh, the preferred method. Of course, the best method is a DVD. <laughs> Absolutely. And so where could people buy those if they're interested? All they, they just contact me through face mail features on Facebook or my Instagram, Heavy Metal Horror on Facebook. I mean, sorry, Heavy Metal Horror at Instagram.com, which that's all underscores, Heavy Metal Horror underscores between the words. Or you can email me, writefilms1 at gmail.com, W-R-I-G-H-T, films at gmail.com one at gmail.com awesome and let me ask you a quick question the face melt films how'd you come up with that name i you know i wanted to go with an idea a name i've had for a while screaming skull productions but that seems to exist somewhere through googling i found that seems to exist and i don't know face melt just came to mind i was like face melt face melting that sounds pretty cool i wonder if it exists so i looked up face melt features and it was it didn't exist so i was like there we go. And I had my artist who designed the Night of the Axe artwork. I had I had her design the logo as well. That's about it. What's her name so that people can uh, find Jen it? Craft. Jen Craft. Was the name in any way influenced by Astro Zombies by the Misfits? Well, Face Mail Features? Uh, no, I, I do not know that song. <laughs> ah, and your face drops in a pile of flesh and then your heart heart pounds till it pumps in death is what I was referring to. But so it's not an exact thing, but just the imagery. I was like, oh, I'm 16 again, and I have black hair as soon as I see face melts. So. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad, well, this I'm, has been fun. I'm glad I can bring you back to your childhood. <laughs> yeah. well, the good parts of my childhood, not the <laughs> angsty, I hate everybody parts, right? Right. Awesome, bud. Well, 
make sure to support Sean. Make sure to support Gore Lords who are doing their charity event once again, August 31st. Uh, if you're in the Sacramento area, if you're not, fly to the Sacramento area and go to the Colonial Theater where you could see a bunch of short films like Night of the X and Creep Show for only $10, you heartless son of a bitch. <laughs> But anyway, for Sean, I am Jake reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. Sean, this is where you do the fart sound. <laughs> ba da ba ba da ba.